Hi, this is Jean-Jacques Taylor, and you're listening to Jock Talk. This is a podcast where I talk about the Cowboys, the team I've covered as a beat writer, columnist, TV insider, and radio host for 28 years. I also talk about the NFL and the things I love, working out, streaming, food, and all things Dallas. My boy Big Joe in the Big Rig, one of my oldest friends, produces the show and occasionally chimes in with his thoughts on the Cowboys. After all, he is a lifelong Cowboys fan, and he played high school, college, and semi-pro football. Welcome to Jock Talk where sports is fluid. What's true today might not be true an hour, a day, or a month from now. I'm going to give you the truth straight. No chaser. Glad to have you guys aboard. Let's get it. Welcome to episode four of Jock Talk. We're a little late today. Had some technical difficulties yesterday. It's all part of putting a new show together. Um, and then we got caught up in this thing. Big Joe and I like to describe as life. He had some stuff going on yesterday. And when he was free, I had some stuff going on yesterday. And then when he got free again, I was busy. And so back and forth like a tennis match, it went. Wait till y'all tell you why I was busy later in the day. It'll blow your mind. Well, at least I think it will. Um, so we've got a great show for you today. We're going to go over four plays that shaped the Cowboys game. Yep, we're bringing that back from a jam session. <laughs> then I'll tell you what exactly I did last night, which uh, a lot of y'all will be, wow. I wish I could have had a chance to do that. Now, I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you, it was fun. It was unexpected. And it's one of the perks of being a sports writer and a journalist for 30 years. We'll go around the NFL. We'll hit college football. I'll tell you a little bit about my conversation with Dion yesterday. Oh, yeah. Did you think I wasn't going to talk about Colorado and Dion? And it's not just because Coach Prime, Dion Sanders and the Making of Men, my book on Jackson State's 2022 season, is coming out on October 10th. Yes, I'm excited. Yes, I'm geeked. Um, you can get it. You can pre-order it wherever. Amazon, Target, Walmart, wherever you get, wherever you get your books, you can pre-order it. It drops uh, October 10th. Uh, audio book is out now. That should be really cool. And uh, we'll delve more into that process as we get a little closer because writing a book is more than just writing a book. It's a whole process which uh, I really got exposed to this year. And I think uh, a lot of you guys will find it interesting. And uh, so I'll share some more details with you later. But right now, let's kick off the show. Cowboys, 40 to nothing over the Giants. Wow. I believe that was the biggest shutout win ever to start a season. Uh, only ones close was 35 nothing over the Giants. Ironically, the first game I ever covered as a beat writer for the Dallas Morning News. I thought they were all going to be like that, man. Uh, that's the year Emmitt had 1,773 yards. Michael had 1,600 yards and 800-yard games, I think, in a row, which set a franchise record. Uh, they had some drama at the end of the season as Switzer and Aikman were going at it and claims of racism from some of the coaches and players, which was kind of absurd, toward Troy Aikman was going down. Uh, but they got it all together to win the Super Bowl. So, I mean, I know a lot of y'all are wondering, well, there's similarities. Kick the Giants' butt in 95. They kicked the Giants' butt in 2023. I wonder, could they get to the Super Bowl? I don't know. It's a little early for that. One game, as we know, does not define your season, especially the first game. NFL season, man, is long. It's about a journey, and it's really, if we're going to keep it honest, it's about attrition, man. The NFL, the one thing I don't like about it, in my opinion, is that it's all about attrition. Who's the healthiest team at the end? Other sports, for the most part, to me, basketball, um, baseball, hockey, they really have a true champion because they don't deal with the magnitude of uh, you know, season-ending injuries that um, the NFL does. Maybe you could say a little bit about hockey where guys are really playing physical, get banged up. But for the most part, I think we can all agree that football is uh, the one where injuries have the biggest impact on the season. Yeah, I always think that uh, if you can get your injuries out of the way early – Get your people back. That's what you want to do. You can't pick your injuries, but if they come early. You get your people back. You know, yeah, you're gonna make the playoff. Proof. Case in point: When uh, the Quincy Carter led Cowboys went ten and six, they barely they they pretty much went to the playoffs because they barely had any injuries on that team. Well, I mean, that's part of the deal, man. That's what I'm talking about. It's, it's all about attrition. Yep. And whether you can uh, whether you can survive it. Uh, especially if it happens to your key players. I mean, look at the Jets. Four plays into their season, Aaron Rodgers is out, and we're all like, your season is basically over. Ain't nobody fault. It's just called football. 
So here we go. Um, and, and let me let me tell y'all what four plays to shape the game is is all about. It's a segment uh, I used to do on uh, the radio with my boy Matt McLaren on uh, ESPN Radio, and uh, we took it to our podcast. Uh, some other people do it now, but this what it's really about is throughout an NFL game, there's usually 120 plays. Well, we all remember the touchdowns, we all remember the big plays, but usually there's a handful of plays within a game that at the end of the game, we don't really think about all that much, but, but if you look at it, you're like, if that play had gone another way, this game might have been completely different. So what we like to do is go back and look at those plays, talk about them, point them out, and let you see just how close it seems to me that the difference between winning and losing is in, uh, in most NFL games because, yeah, the Cowboys won 40 to nothing. But the Cowboys been around since 1960. That was their largest shutout win ever. I mean, think about that. As long as they've been playing, their largest shutout win came the other day, 40 to nothing over the, uh, the Giants. I think the one before that, I was a kid. I remember listening to it. It was 38 nothing over the Colts. Um, so without further ado, the, the Giants uh, get the opening kickoff, man. And it's a driving rainstorm. And so, obviously, to me, they're going to try to establish the run, run the ball, see what they can do, and uh, take advantage of uh, what was the perceived Cowboys' weakness. Right off the bat, Saquon Barkley gets five yards. Um, then there's a personal foul on J. Ron Curse, trying to send a message, hits Daniel Jones. I didn't really think it was that big a deal, but they're going to protect quarterbacks, especially early in the game. So he runs for eight, 15-yard penalty. All of a sudden, they got the ball at the Dallas 47. They keep moving the ball. Saquon Barkley goes for nine. Then he goes for five. Um, they're moving the ball, and, and they're not being able to throw the ball. But when they're back, your boy Daniel Jones doing what he does best, really, which is scrambling. And so the drive is moving smartly. Cowboys have shown no indication they can stop the running game. And all of a sudden, it's uh, second and 10 from the Dallas 16. Um, at that point, once again, Dan Jones drops back, scrambles for eight. And this sets up the first big play of the game. It's third and two from the Dallas eight. Waller in the slot. Isaiah Hodgins outside of him. Now Waller on the move, third and two. Always good in the red zone. They go in time. Let the whistle and we call a false start on Andrew Thomas. start offense number 78 dude nothing wrecks a drive like penalties sacks and minus plays so i mean think about this the giants have moved down the field they have not completed a pass except one for no gain to uh saquon barkley everything else has been a run or a scramble they're moving the ball it's early but they dominating the line of scrimmage it's third and two I'm sitting at the crib on the couch. I have already decided, me, your boy, I've already decided, hey, the Giants gonna run the ball twice with Saquon Barkley. They finna get this first down, and then, you know, we'll see if they score. Now, all of a sudden, instead of third and two where you're in charge, you can do anything. You can run it with Barkley. You can play action pass. You can roll out Daniel Jones, give him a run pass out. Everything is at your disposal. Just a matter of how you want to slice and dice the Cowboys and take this early 7-0 lead. Get your home fans cranked, get them geeked, get them excited in this driving rain, and start your quest to a Super Bowl. It's right there for the Giants, dog. It's right there for the Giants. Except now it's third and seven. Now you got to throw the ball. And what happens? Bad snap, bad snap at Daniel Jones' feet. Ball skips back all the way to the 27-yard line. Daniel Jones falls on it. Michael Parsons touches him. And instead of going up 7 nothing. Now, not only do you have to try a field goal, you got to try kind of a long field goal because now it's 27-yard line, so it's a 45-yard field goal. The kick is blocked. It's returned for a touchdown. And I'm sitting there going to myself, just two minutes ago, I thought the Giants were going to be up 7-0. Now, your Dallas Cowboys have blocked the field goal, returned that thing for a touchdown, 
and it's seven nothing Dallas, and I'm just like, wow, where did all of that come from? Let me tell you where it came from. Yeah, tell me where it came from. Giants, the Giants decided to call pass play. You're right, they should have ran the ball twice. But not only did they call a pass play, the refs affected it too, because I call it the Lane Johnson kick step. That little right. kick step they do to get ahead of the count. The refs haven't decided how they want to call that yet. It's kind of like that roughing the passer when they called it that the year they called it where the, when the quarterback got barely touched and you couldn't land on them. Right. This year, it's that kick step. When you watch those tackles, when they throw that leg back before the snap, that's a false start in any other year. But Lane Johnson got away with a head start last year. The right tackle for the Eagles started there where – he throws that leg back before the snap. You know, you hear you hear that snap count. You hear that, huh? You know, hut hut. He starts kicking that leg back at huh, and the defensive line got to wait till you get to the T in the hut. So they getting the they getting an the advantage by kicking that leg back, and the refs have have they can't make up their mind. They called it like three times against Kansas City. I don't remember the player it was number seventy four. I think it was the right tackle. And they wasn't calling it all year on Lane Johnson last year. And so that guy for the Giants, he kicked his leg back. Hell, he was he was all pro last year. I think it's Thomas, but he had Michael Parsons on him. So he's looking for every head start. So that wasn't that was something that they tried it and the, the refs this game was like, We gonna call it and he had Michael Parsons over him. And so he was trying to get every advantage. And there's the effect of Micah, and there's old boy trying to do the new thing that's out, and the ref decided, no, 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 not today. We're not calling it like everybody else has been calling it because they watch Monday night. They all scout all. I mean, they watch, you know, they watch the other games. Every ref is calling it that step different this year, and that's what I wanted to point out. So we move on. The Giant Cowboys force the three and out. They get the ball to drive for a field goal. It's 9 nothing. Now, that drive, to me, was marked by uh, your boy Ferguson, Jake, dropping a third down pass, in which case, if had he caught it, Cowboys probably would have uh, scored a touchdown and gone up 14-0. So it's 9 nothing, and, you know, the pessimist to me is, you know, you're off to a fantastic start, but you could bury him if you was up 14 nothing instead of 9. Uh, so they come back out, and it's 9 nothing, and it's a big drive for the Giants because they need to get on the board. They need to show that they're, uh, they can put up some points on offense, that they can control the line of scrimmage like they had done on the first drive. First down, though, what happens? Pressure on Daniel Jones. Tank Lawrence drops him for a nine-yard sack. Second and 19. There's not an offensive coordinator in the National Football League that wants to deal with second and 19. Uh, Daniel Jones drops back, throws deep ball, incomplete. Third and 19. Normally, here go your play selection. Screen or draw on third and 19, especially in a driving rainstorm. Uh, so, Dan Jones drops back, throws a quick slant to Saquon Barkley, kind of out in the back, coming out of the backfield. And here's what happened. Third and 19. Jones gets it out. Barkley got hit, fumbled right in the air, and it flies into the hands for a touchdown of Deron Bland. So, Deron Bland picks it off, runs it back, 16-0 Dallas Cowboys. And right then I go, well, this one feels like it's over the way the Cowboys defense is playing, the way the Giants offense is playing. But that's the key to this play is not Deron Bland, Bland's interception return for a touchdown. The key is Trayvon Diggs going to hit folks this year? I mean, really, I'm asking y'all, is Trayvon Diggs going to hit folks this year? Because if it is... If that's the way he's going to play, then, oh, we got a whole different kind of player. I mean, he's already a terrific player. He really is. I'm not a nitpicker. He's a terrific player. He cut down on his gambling last year, didn't get as many picks, but played a much better corner. But he was atrocious. He was embarrassing. He was abject as a tackler last year. And I don't know. You know, you're making business decisions. You don't have the courage to be a tackler? I don't know. It's hard for me to think that, seeing how you played at Alabama with Nick Saban. All I know is this. 
if he going to bang people like he banged Ryan Bland, when the opportunity presents itself, then this Cowboys defense will take it up one more notch because we all know if you got corners who don't tackle like Trayvon did last year, teams attacked him on the perimeter all year long. If you're going to hit people and make them pay for catching the ball in front of you, that's a whole different ball game, and Trayvon Diggs will be worth every nickel of that contract he signed in the offseason. Well, you know what made him better is that he played, nope. he's playing across from Stephon Gilmore. Stephon right. Gilmore is not a hitter per se, but sometimes you got to be an opportunistic hitter. See, right. when you, I'm not looking for the hit because I'm not a hitter. But if the hit is there, yeah, I'm going to blast that ass. You're going to get blasted. And that's what happened. I don't think he turned into a hitter, but he saw the guy across from him. That's leadership. That's veteranship. That's veteran. That's being a veteran. Uh, Stephon Gilmore is solid in tackling, and he gets physical. Guess what? You see, you see it. It adds to your game. You want to add, you know, then you pick up stuff from somebody. That's leadership right there. That's learning the game from a veteran. And we talked about him learning from Stefan. It's only going to help him. So if that guy's doing it, I'm going to do it. And it's just, to me, it's just being an opportunistic hitter. I can get down with that. Um, 16 nothing now. And now it's about, you know, can you continue to pilot the lead? And here's the thing. And I, I, heard, I was listening to a, a clip from the Cowboys. I think they call it off on the sideline or something I saw on Twitter, something I heard on Twitter. And Demarcus Lawrence is on the sideline asking his defensive teammates, can we make this team quit by halftime? Can we make them quit by halftime? Um, let's try to make them quit by halftime. And I like that approach because what that's really saying is don't let up, keep up, keep the pressure on them, and let's see if we can, uh, if we can get them to just pull up that white flag so that we can spend the second half celebrating. Because, and, and I thought about this, man, the way the NFL is, it doesn't happen often, but it happens often enough for us to understand that it can happen. Um, and we seen it in Dallas a couple times last year. Where they were up 27-10, I believe, against the Jaguars and lost the game. Uh, it's amazing how momentum will work in the NFL if a team gets a little bit of it and then starts to believe that they can be that, make that comeback. Uh, who was that? The uh, Vikings or the Colts? It was 30 to nothing, and they came back and won yep. last year. Yep. Uh, it's just crazy. So you really can't let up because the players are too good and the momentum can change too quickly. And so that's why it's, uh, it's third and 12. The Cowboys are up 16 nothing. It's the start of the second quarter, and you're like, you know what? If they have to punt here and the Giants score – the Giants will sit there and go, we done got our butts kicked for this whole first quarter and part of the second quarter. And it's 16 to 7. All we need is a touchdown and a field goal. We win this thing 17-16. And they get life. They get hope. And the worst thing you can give a team is hope. So it's third and 12. Dallas is at the 18. It's a driving rainstorm. And I'm sitting here wondering, what approach will they take on this play? Screen a draw? Or will they try to make something happen? Well, here's what they decided to do. Giants defense tries to make a statement on third and 12. Dak scans, fires from Brandon Cooks. Incomplete, but a flag on the rookie Trey Hawkins. 37-yard pass interference penalty. First and 10 from the Giants, 45. And I was impressed by the aggressive approach on that play. And maybe they did that because they had the lead and they could take a chance. But they also got Brandon Cooks. That dude is fast. Now, we've all seen the Cowboys defense. We all expect them to be really good this year. We know that the Cowboys corners are really good. Stephon Gilmore, Trayvon Diggs. We know the Cowboys are probably the deepest that they've had at safety in a minute. Uh, probably the deepest they've been since, you know, the Super Bowl teams of the early 90s. They got a lot of safeties who can play. You know who busted their ass all training camp, man? Brandon Cooks. Brandon Cooks was getting deep all training camp. Everybody on the team, offensive guys talk about, man, Brandon Cooks is so fast. Defensive players talk about, can't sleep on Brandon Cooks, he's so fast. Mike McCarthy talks about it. Brandon Cooks is really fast. He can take the top off of defense. He changes things. 
Y'all can double CD if you want to. Brandon Cook's going to take the single coverage all year long and put up some big numbers and some big games. Well, that ended up being a big play. Um, 37 yards, set him up. And uh, Brandon Cooks, man, is going to add an element to this offense this year that we haven't really seen because Michael Gallup was kind of the deep threat the last couple years, but he's not an explosive deep threat. He's more of a run a good route and then jump over you and make a catch. Brandon Cooks is more of a run right past you. Oops, you didn't get your hands on me. I'll holler at you. Yeah, Brandon Cooks is Brandon Cooks is like he said before. He's been a dog. I, I need him to break out the uh, bow and arrow celebration that the NFL banned a couple of years ago because he was killing people with the Saints. And he, you know, he would shoot the bow and arrow. he would pull the bow, shoot the arrow. Hey, Amen. Okay, check this out, dog. Check this out. This is the beauty of having a show like this. This is this is the benefit that y'all get from us having a show like this. When I go out to the star today, because we're recording on Wednesday morning. Normally, you do this on Tuesday after Tuesday morning or Tuesday afternoon, but I told y'all we had some difficulties yesterday. Uh, so we're going to get this out this morning. But when I go out to the star today, I'm going to ask Brandon Cooks, hey, Doc, I'm going to pull him aside, and I'm going to say, hey, Doc, can we, get the, can we get the bow and arrow celebration back, man? Roger can we get that. it back? Yep. And then, guess what? I'm going to provide that answer to y'all when. Y'all know when. When y'all going to get the answer? Come on, come on, come on. When y'all going to get the answer? You're going to get the answer Friday. When? In Whispers from the Star. All right, that news you can't see here we get anywhere but the Jock Talk Podcast. Whispers from yep, the Star. Yep, y'all know it's coming. <laughs> y'all know it's coming. Woo, I just broke my finger trying to keep my phone from falling on the floor from laughing at my own joke. Yeah. That, my friends, is pretty sad and pathetic. You crack yourself up. That's sad, too. Hey, man, if you don't make yourself laugh, why you think somebody else is going to laugh at your jokes? Roger that. I guess. I mean, you think when Chris Rock is writing jokes and performing them in front of the mirror at his house, he, he go, hmm, I guess that was all right. Or he make himself laugh. He'd be falling out like, man, I'm going to kill these people when they hear this. Yeah, bad analogies are sad, too. <sighs> you know what? I don't pay you in Circle K gift cards for this kind of feedback. I'm just saying. Oh, I guess I shouldn't tell everybody I pay you in Circle K gift cards. Well, the secret is out now. So if you see Big Joe in the big rig and you recognize the dude walk through with a big stack of Circle K gift cards, you'll know that's Big Joe in the big rig right there. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! That was a good one. So, back to four plays to shape the game. And the Cowboys 40 nothing win over the Giants. Why you ain't laughing, man? You know it was funny. I don't take edibles before we uh, record. Wow. I, I just drank now that. If y'all knew Big Joe and the Big Rig, you know that was a very subtle jab. I like that. I appreciate that. See, his personality started Roger. to come out. Wait till, he, wait, till he, wait till he forget we doing a show one day and he think we talking on the phone and he cuss me out. Y'all going to really get a kick out of it that day. He, he just being polite right now. But wait till his personality come out and he cuss me out. Y'all going to really find it amusing. <laughs> so after the big completion to your boy Brandon Cooks, they're at the 45. The Cowboys move all the way down to the Giants' eight where uh, Jake Ferguson uh, drops a pass uh, that should have been a first down. But, I, but I'm okay with that for one reason and one reason only because that means Brandon Aubrey has got to come in the game. Now, Brandon Aubrey missed his first extra point, man. After the block field goal, Aubrey misses the extra point. I'm just like, what the hell? I mean, we went through this last year with your boy Brett Maher uh, in, the, in, the, in the playoffs. And I'm just like, this is insane. And so he came back and made a 21-yard field goal. Okay, cool. whoop de damn do This 38-yard field goal attempt, though, that's a nice kick. Let's see if the first one, the miss, is who he really is. Or if that extra point that went straight through the middle of the uprights is who he really is. So he lined up for a 38-yard field goal in the driving rainstorm, and here's what happened. And now Brandon Aubrey. Tried from 38. The make from 21 and the missed extra point. Operation is good. 
And Aubrey knocks it through. So Dallas, two offensive drives and two field goals along with the... Hey, I was good with that. Right down the middle, showed me he could handle a little adversity, came back, kicked it, and uh, it was good. And so uh, the Cowboys obviously go on from there. That puts them up 19 nothing. They go on and win 40 to nothing. Uh, start the season 1-0. and That is four plays that shaped the game. And, um, you know, here's the deal. We're going to do that thing every Tuesday, um, come after Cowboys game. And so uh, and then we'll put them all together at the end of the year. And we'll give you a little something I like to call 10 plays that shaped the season. Because when you look back at the season, you will go. If this play or that play hadn't happened, we wouldn't be in the Super Bowl. See, I'm trying to manifest that for y'all, for you Cowboy fans. Trying to manifest that Super Bowl. (laughs) So. Four plays to shape the Cowboys season. You'll hear that every Tuesday on Jock Talk uh, with me and Big Joe and the Big Rig. Right now, though, let's talk about what I did last night. Uh, You know, Matt used to cuss me out for that all the time, Big Joe, which is I'm moving around and my microphone came out. Are you there? Yes. Okay. Hey, don't be frowning up at me, Bob. You know how it goes sometimes. So here's what happened. I'm sitting in my apartment doing some work yesterday. And I get a text from Clarence E. Hill Jr. And it's a picture of him and a former Dallas Cowboy, big time player. And I go, matter of fact, let me see what he said. He said, you need to get out here. And so I said, uh, why, what's up? And he told me, I said, all right, dog. Um, I said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm at this charity event for uh, Charles Haley, Charles Haley dinner, come out to Frisco. And he sends me a text and it goes, a night with Legends charity dinner, a night with former Cowboys Charles Haley to help tackle tomorrow's mission in helping students who struggle to read and write across Dallas. Let me tell y'all something. Y'all know Charles Haley. Cowboys couldn't spell Super Bowl until they got Charles Haley. Pass rusher, but not only a pass rusher, a technician, not only a pass rusher and a technician, but a nasty player, a dog of dogs. That's why he's in the Hall of Fame. He's one of the best pass rushers ever. Relentless, and he was just a nasty guy. So when you add that nastiness to his skill level, that's why he's a Hall of Famer. Anyway, he also got a, he can also have kind of a raunchy personality. But let me tell you something. He must not have been too bad a guy because he had all the stars out there in Frisco last night. I'm talking about current star. I mean, I'm talking about former stars and former Cowboys like Troy Aikman and Michael Irvin. I saw Chad Hennings out there and some other guys. But, duh, he had Marcus Allen out there, Eric Dickerson out there, Lawrence Taylor out there. A whole bunch of folks out there, man. And so I got out there, and uh, the first guy, and I'm looking for, for, for Clarence because he was trying to point me out to somebody who I had been looking for over the last couple of weeks, and he said he was out there. And uh, so I, t- I talked to Clarence, and uh, we catch up real quick, and I'm talking to a couple other guys. And then Eric Dickerson walks past me. Now I don't know about you, dog. Eric Dickerson has been my guy. You know what? I'm going to say this. I don't think I've ever said this publicly. I don't think anybody's ever asked, but I don't think anybody's ever said this publicly. My guys, my favorite running backs of all time. Now, don't judge me for the first one because I grew up in Buffalo. O.J. Simpson. Lived in Buffalo till I was eight. Lived in Buffalo when O.J. got 2,003 yards and did it against the Jets on a snowy field. I was at my godmother's house watching the game when it happened, jumped up and ran around the living room. So OJ and his gracefulness is one of my top three favorite running backs of all time. My second favorite running back of all time is Tony Dorsett. Why? Y'all know why. If you grew up in the Cowboys in the 70s and 80s, how could Tony Dorsett not be your guy? Fast, elusive, you know, just fantastic. But my dude, my dude, 
was Eric Dickerson, man. Now you ask yourself, why was Eric Dickerson your guy? Let me tell you why Eric Dickerson was my guy. Did I ever tell you this stuff? Nope, but I think I know where you're going, but go ahead. Eric Dickerson was my guy because when we moved to Dallas, what happened is my parents got divorced when I was about six, seven. My dad moved to Ohio. That's how I ended up going to Ohio State because he ended up teaching at Ohio State. My mom came to Dallas to work for the Dallas Independent School District. She had been here about a year or two, and she met a guy named Larry. They started dating, and they dated for several years. Larry was an assistant coach at SMU under Ryan Meyer. So where did I end up spending many of my Saturdays from the time I was about 9 to 11 or 12? At the Cotton Bowl watching SMU play. Why? My mom's dating football coach. I got tickets. So I was there when Ohio State came and they tied them 35-35. I was there with Mustang Mania and Mike Ford and Emmanuel Tolbert. See, I'm going way back for y'all if you got any knowledge of SMU football. Arthur Whittingham, all of that. So I'm a huge SMU fan. This is when they started paying players. And so I will never forget, dog. I'm in the car coming home from school with my mother driving, and we listening to Brad Sham on Sports Central. And I hear him say, or I hear whoever broke in on whatever their version of a ticker was, but I remember him saying, Eric Dickerson has committed to SMU. I went crazy. I went crazy. And so I was a big Dickerson fan all the way watching him play at SMU. I was a big Dickerson fan when he went to the Rams, even though he broke the Cowboys' heart with that 248-yard performance in the playoff game, which I teased him about last night. Uh, And so I was a Dickerson fan his entire career. And so one of my highlights is getting to know him over the years. Uh, I met him when he get, I think when they put him in the Texas Black Hall of Fame, I met him. And then last year, man, I got a call from his people uh, who he, he wrote a book about his career, autobiography, and they wanted me to host a night with Eric Dickerson at the Texas Theater, uh, right in Oak Cliff off of Jefferson. And that was one of my biggest thrills ever. Because, uh, you know, me and Dick talked for about 30 minutes before the show. We did the show. We talked for another 10, 20, 30 minutes after the show. He's a great dude. So I see him last night. <laughs> and I walk up to him. I say, Dick! And he turns around. I stick my hand out. Hey, man, what's happening? Dog, when I tell you he looked at me for about five seconds with them blank eyes. And I was like, huh, this looks like he doesn't remember me. <laughs> and finally, he looked at me and says, do I know you? I said, Dick, this is Jacques. We did the show at the Texas Th- Oh, Jacques, what's dog? I'm sorry, man. What's up, man? Ah. He goes, dog, man, my back is all fucked up. I beat the hell up. My hips hurt. I said, dog, really? <laughs> he said, yeah, just another life of being a former NFL player. That's why I need all them guys to get all that money they can because they're going to feel like me when they get to be 60. Uh, so anyway, that's the first person I saw last night, man. Uh, so I talked to him for a couple minutes, and then I'm kind of maneuvering around the room looking for this guy who I've been looking for, and I see Michael Irvin holding court, and he is in rare Michael Irvin form. Uh, he's holding court for about eight or ten other NFL players, former NFL players, and a bunch of people who are there for the auction. But he is in rare form. Uh, and then I see Tony Dorsett over there signing some autographs. So I'm about to go say hi to TD. That's what I call them because we're boys now. Uh, and, uh, but something, something distracted me, so I ended up going to talk to uh, – I don't know how you feel about this guy, man. Where does Joe Green rank on your list? You talking about University of North Texas mean Joe Green? Yeah. Rank where? What are we ranking? On your list of favorite players, respectable players, uh, you know. What? Probably the best, one of the best defensive tackles to ever play and a Texan. He, hey, if I had a rank – I don't know, overall players maybe. He'd be, right. he be in the top five because my running backs are this. Walter Payton, Tony Dorsett, Barry Sanders, Earl Campbell. All right. I got no problem Eric with Eric Dickerson yeah. is my favorite all-time college running back because he was okay. right here in Dallas. If you're ranking it. players, uh, 
Joe Green is oh. up. Joe is, Joe Green is is probably pretty much in his own category because he was like the first national superstar that I knew that was black, and he was from Texas. Right, right. So it was like okay, okay. So yeah, he pretty high in my book. Uh, so I ended up talking. That's what happened. I was talking to Dorset, but he was signing some autographs for a couple of people. So I was waiting for them to finish, and sit. I looked down, and there goes uh, Joe Green. Now he has an event every summer uh, down to, uh, right off, right across the street from SMU at a hotel to raise money for for a scholarship for uh, in his ex in his former wife's name she died uh, from cancer I believe um, so he does a scholarship fundraiser for her and uh, usually I go to that and there's a lot of uh, inter- former NFL celebrities there too so I've been to his event a few times so I'm shaking his hand saying hey. Uh, Joe, it's nice to see you again, blah, 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 blah. Now, of course, he don't remember me or recognize me, but that's okay. I'm trying to let him know where I know him from. So I talked to him for a few minutes, and then Mel Blunt walks up. And you know it's Mel Blunt because he's tall. He's still built very nice for for a guy who's probably 70-something now. And he got a big old cowboy hat on and a big gold belt buckle. Yep. Uh, And so uh, I, I, I briefly talked to him for just a second. And then me... And I'm still talking to Clarence uh, E. Hill Jr. from the Star Telegram. He says, hey, let's go out in the back because uh, that's where the real action is. And I go, what real action? Just come on, man. Come on, come on. So I was like, all right, whatever, dog. So I follow him out and out there. And sitting out there smoking a cigar is one of the greatest players in NFL history. LT, Lawrence Taylor. And right as, right as we walk up to LT, here comes Dickerson. He sits down next to LT, and they just start talking. And I'm just like, let me be a fly on the wall and just enjoy this conversation. And as they were talking, this other big dude walked out and sat down next to him, and he started chiming in occasionally. And then somebody said, Rick, what you think? And I looked at him and said, damn, that's Ricky Jackson uh, from the Saints, Hall of Fame linebacker. And so the conversation is just going back and forth, man. They're telling lies and stories and truths and half-truths about all this stuff. But a couple of the funniest things that came out of these conversations was, well, and you probably, knowing you, Joe, you remember some of this. LT was talking about, and I don't know if this is true, and I, didn't, I wasn't looking it up at the time. Matter of fact, I'm going to look it up now. When did LT come in the league? 1981? Yep. He was telling some story about him playing at North Carolina and North Carolina being undefeated and unscored on after eight games. Now, I just couldn't believe that to be true. Uh, He said, because we were number two in the country and we ended up playing um, Oklahoma. And he said, we were ferocious. And he said, Oklahoma kicked the shit out of us and they threw two passes one was incomplete and one was intercepted because we had never seen anything like that wishbone that they had uh so i was trying to go look up and see if i could figure out uh you know what some of those scores were in that year that they played um oklahoma see if i could come up with it well they were 10 maybe it was 1980 when there was 11 and 1 I think, uh, I think that might have been J.C. Watts on that team. Okay, because he said the running – now, he said the quarterback – now, you know, he's older now, so who knows. And we know he did a lot of drugs, so I'm not taking shots. Uh, but you're taking shots. Well, he took shots at himself. Roger. So, um, that was uh, – he said somebody named Shepard was Oklahoma's quarterback that year. Okay. Uh, well, Danny, Danny, Danny Shepard. Okay, this is the year where they didn't play. Okay, here it is. Well, it's not that they had not scored, but he's pretty close. When they played Oklahoma, they were number two in the country. They beat Furman 35-13 to start the year. Then they beat Tech 9-3, Maryland 17-3, Georgia Tech 33-0, Wake Forest 27-9, North Carolina State 28-8, East Carolina 31-3. Uh, that's the only game they lost, dog. They played Oklahoma, and Oklahoma beat them 41-7. Uh, 
And he said, we couldn't keep up with those fast little motherfuckers for nothing to save our life. That's how he said. That's him quote, not me. Uh, and so he was talking about the running backs on that team. And then that got Eric Dickerson talking about running backs. He said, man, when I was a kid, man, Billy Sims was my guy. Yep. Him and Charles White. And then he said this, and this is what I love about hanging around these guys, because you don't say nothing. You're just sitting there listening. Is uh, Dickerson is like, uh, you know, the reason I was spatted up and wore a towel was Billy Sims and Charles White. That's why I did it. I said, yeah, dog. And then you had people wearing goggles. He said, I wore goggles because I was blind as a bat, man. I couldn't see nothing. I said, don't matter, dog. People thought it was, people saw you wearing goggles. Whether they needed goggles or not, they was trying to wear goggles. Um, so uh, he was telling some great stories like that And then they're talking about the league Because uh, Eric said something about LT's golf shoes uh, he, said, what are you? he said, why are you still wearing golf shoes? You going out to play somewhere tonight? And he's like, I would if I could He said, man, when I was playing I told everybody, Bill included After the game, I'm on the first plane smoking to Florida whether it's I can get out of here this night or whether I got to take a six o'clock flight in the morning and I see y'all on Thursday because I don't practice on Wednesdays. So at this point, I looked at him. I said, so you would go play golf in Florida until Thursday? He goes, yeah. All I got to do is rush the quarterback. We ain't playing but two defenses. How hard is it to, to remember that? And my job is go sack the quarterback. I ain't got to do nothing else. So I'm just laughing at that, man. And he's still rocking that Thunderbolt earring, dog. Still rocking it. Uh, so it was amazing. It was a great night uh, to hear stories. And then um, ended up walking with Dickerson over to a, to a D. Lincoln Steakhouse and sat in there for another hour and a half uh, listening to him tell stories um, and uh, talk, with his, uh, talk with Zeke's agent, uh, Rocky Arsenault, about uh, – you know, uh, about various things because they're friends. And then got some updates on Zeke. And uh, he said Belichick loves him. He's already evolved into a leader on the team uh, because of his approach to the game. And uh, now I haven't looked this up, okay? But Rocky said Zeke had uh, whatever he had, 11 carries the other day. It was the first time in three years he didn't have any negative runs. And uh, he said, well, you know, the way they got him running and the way they blocking it, it doesn't allow you to have very many negative runs. Everything's downhill and everything's straight. Yep. Now, I'm not saying that was a shot at the Cowboys because he wasn't talking about the Cowboys, but it seems like he was like, well, you know, when we do certain things the right way, you know, Zeke can still be an effective runner. Uh, time will tell on the season, um, but uh, that's how I spent last night. I went out there looking for a player who I've been trying to get in touch with for two or three weeks and uh, finally, got, finally caught up with him. And uh, told him what I need to tell him uh, for a project I'm working on. These are the behind-the-scenes things of how reporters work. Uh, but the rest of the night, man, was talking to some of the legends of the game and hearing their stories. And uh, I love doing that, and it's one of the perks of the job. Next, we have a conversation about college football. Who's the hottest team in college football, Doc? Colorado. Bro, it's not even close. They had more people watch the Colorado game at 11 o'clock in the morning than Texas, Alabama. That, to me, is insane. Uh, but that's called the Dion effect, man. It ain't, I mean, it's just what it is. Uh, it's the impact that he has. Uh, now, I happened to talk to him yesterday for about half an hour. We're just catching up because here's the deal. Um, what, how do I want to say this? De, you know, Dion is a very interesting guy, but he's probably like most players, I would think. And maybe you can speak to this as a former player. Uh, I don't, you know, okay, here's the deal. The closer they get to game day, the more irritable he becomes. Uh, and I could kind of figure that as a player. I didn't realize he was like that as a coach. And so when I'm in Jackson State last year, I remember distinctly, it's the first game of the year. Um, they're, they're, the team meeting is starting in about 15 minutes. And I'm on a, you know, I haven't really seen Dion up close as a coach before. I mean, I've seen him, but I haven't been embedded with the team and really seen him do his thing. 
And so he's sitting off to the side. He's not really saying anything. And I go, oh, this is a good opportunity for me to go over there and ask these couple questions I've had for a day or two. So I walked over, man, and I looked at him. I said, hey, dog, I asked a couple questions. Man, I don't ask no question on Friday, man. And I was like, oh, okay, what you got? And right then I was like, uh, oh, I just wanted to know how you picked the captains, man. da 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 Okay, appreciate you, dog. I holler. And I decided after that, ain't no more conversation with him on Fridays. I keep my conversations with him to Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Which brings us fast forward to yesterday. It's Tuesday. So I gave him a call, check in. He hit me back later on. And uh, we're talking. And I said, hey, you got Colorado State. Based on what I know, this could kind of be of a trap game. And he stopped me right there. I don't believe in trap games. I said, what do you mean you don't believe in trap games? He said, I don't believe in trap games. You either go out there and just do what you do. If you're a better team, go play like the better team and just beat the brakes off them folks. That, you know, a trap, what is a trap? You should be playing and practicing and competing at the same level every week. I go, dog, you know it don't work like that. Why doesn't it work like that? And at that point, I said to myself, self, let us not get into the debate with the Hall of Fame cornerback and potential coach of the year about trap games. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna speak to what he's talking about. Okay. When you play a, when you play a game, I never like to hear my teammates say we're gonna kill these guys. These guys suck. It's bad luck. It's a jinx. What you want to do is say, hey, let's go out and play hard as we can. Let's go out and play like we know how to play, and the rest gonna take care of itself. Now, if I get on the field. And I look across the field and I say, y'all are crap. We're going to kill y'all. That's more motivation right there. If I say something to that player, other player calls, you know, that's just how we talk. But to go before the game and say, oh, this is a trap game. Or, oh, we're going to kill these guys. Nah, best to do it and not to talk about it. And not to talk about it after you do it. It's just, hey, let's, let's go out and do the best we can. Let's ball out and let's not waste no energy talking about trap games and how sorry the other team is. Let's focus on doing our job. And then we're going to kick their ass for sure. But when you talk about it, kind of jinx it. You kind of get it losing. You kind of give away some of your energy. That's that's kind of how I looked at it. All right. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do what I do, which is I don't believe in jinxes and all of that. Either you're good enough to win or you're not. No, sir. No, sir. You need the talent. You need a little luck. What's the ball? What if what if what if you playing somebody and you whooping them? You kick the ball. You seen the ball bounce a certain kind of way. Would you think that's it's ordained to be like that, or it's going? It's just sometimes there's a certain luck go with that. You any anything you do, whether you jumping out of helicopters into the jungle, or you kick returning the ball, you need a little luck. You need a little luck with some skill and some preparation. All of that stuff goes together. That's how. Yeah. That's, that's but how I get it. But that, and I, I'm, I'm not. I wouldn't disagree with that. I just don't agree with the jinx thing. I talk about a no hitter in the sixth inning. Man, he gave up a hit. That I mean, me talking about the no hitter ain't got nothing to do with him giving up the hit. That's tradition. That's sports. Tell a guy. Tell a. Okay, you be the only guy talking during a no hitter, and did he give up a hit? You know they gonna clown you. Right, and I say, y'all, y'all just looking for excuses for why a man left that slide over the middle. That ain't my fault. All right. Yeah, well. I mean, you know, right. in the, sancti- it's, in the it's, sanctity it's, of a team, I would, yeah. I would, I yeah. would do what people do, even if I thought that's it was stupid right. that's, for that's the for the good of, of the team. That's part of but since I'm team, not man. on the team except for this podcast team, yeah. I can say I don't believe in jinxes. I just believe in you either performed or you didn't perform. Now. I think this is a I think this is a uh, a similar nuanced conversation uh, in terms of I think one of the things that's making Colorado a better team than perhaps they were ready to be at this moment is Dion gave them a spark in terms of changing their mindset into I believe and now that they had success more and more and more of those players, and check this out now, more of the coaches who weren't with him in Jackson State are starting to believe that anything is possible if you, if you have a certain amount of talent, 
you play as hard as you can play and you believe and manifest that thing that good things will happen because I have prepared as hard as I could prepare and now I'm going to play as hard as I can play. Then good things will happen. And I believe that's why he's saying Colorado State is not a trap game. It's a trap game to play well and you want to have a big game? This is a perfect opportunity to do it if you prepare well and play well because we should be better than Colorado State just from an athletic perspective. What do you think? And I was going to say, and you need a little luck with that. See, now, now, you're, just, now you're just trying to be a, a sudden letter cuss word. That's no, all. no, no. I'm just telling you that's, 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 that's what comes with sports. You got to be prepared, you know, but sometimes you need a little luck. How about this? I think you How need about- a luck when you're pulling off the upset. Like Colorado State needs a little bit of luck to hang and win. I don't think Colorado needs luck to beat them. Colorado, I think, when they play Oregon, I'm not sure on Oregon, but definitely when they play USC, they may need a little luck to win the game. Uh, but you don't believe in luck. I said I don't believe in jinxes. I ain't said nothing about luck. Luck and jinx is in the same wheelhouse. Okay, that's a discussion for, oh, that's a discussion for another day. I'm sorry. See, sometimes y'all get in a, um, sometimes because it's a live show, y'all get a good news. I just got an email and you're the first person to hear this dog. Hi, Jacques. Hope you're having a great start to the new season. I'm excited to report finished copies of Coach Prime are scheduled to arrive in our warehouse this week and we'll ship out your copies as soon as they do. Can you please confirm that below is the best address for your shipment? How about that, bro? Let me tell you something, Doug. I didn't think I would when it first happened. Now I believe there may be some tears of joy and happiness when the books come and I pop them out and look at them next week. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I find it ironic that I got that text, I mean that email, just as we talking about Coach Prime. Perhaps, perhaps that is what we're talking about, a little divine intervention right there, a little luck, a little uh, something, something, something that I can't remember right now. Um, anyway, I think that uh, color, to me, um, TCU was a great gauge because you could see exactly where you were because they're a really solid program. So they beat them, and they played well. And then it was, to me, let's see, because I think you and Nebraska are kind of on the same level. Let me see if you can reel in all the pats on the backs and all the love that you received this week, focus, and play a good game against Nebraska. Not that they had a week to look at your tape, so ain't no surprises, really. And they started slow, but then they thumped them, 36-13. Now this week is about... You're playing a team that's inferior that you should beat. Can you again come out, focus, and beat them like you should beat them so that Shadur is on the sideline with, you know, 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter? To me, that's the, that's the kind of test we have because next week is Oregon. And I don't think – I haven't done any real deep dive on Oregon. But they needed a last-minute kind of lucky play and a little bit of luck to beat Texas Tech. I think Texas Tech is good, but I don't think Texas Tech is some special team, um, even though it was on the road. So I think they can compete with Oregon. And uh, let me just tell y'all something, man. Let me just tell y'all something, dog. Because the game's at Autzen Stadium in Oregon. Anybody who's ever played college football on the PS4 knows that thing gets rocking. Then lines get to squiggling and wiggling. You can't even call your plays right on on uh, on on the video game. If they somehow beat Colorado, if they beat Colorado State, and somehow go to Oregon and beat Oregon on the road to go to four and zero and move up to like number twelve in the country, time will stop for a week when they play USC and Caleb Williams at the crib. Time will stop. It'll be like we're in Colorado's universe and nothing else exists in the world. 
if that happens. And I kind of hope it does, dog, because I'm going to be at that game, and it would be fun to be part of that type of atmosphere uh, for a long time well, or look, for a week. I look forward to see what uh, adjustments Coach Prime going to make because uh, you got to keep Shadour upright. He got sacked eight times against Nebraska. He got sacked eight times against Nebraska, four times against TCU, that's a lot of hits on quarterback. I watched him get hit hit in the hit when he threw the ball. You know, they hit his arm. That's a way to get injured. Um, Nebraska played a lot of zone, and they blitzed off the zone. So Shador had to hold the ball even more, which caused him to get hit. They, You talked about earlier about the offensive lines. You know, the offensive line, the offense, you talk about both lines, offensive and defensive lines. What kind of adjustments can you make to stop the run? 222 yards on the ground. Against Nebraska, 200-plus in the second half against TCU. So those are things that you got to watch out for because if Nebraska had better better quarterback play, might have been a closer game or even, I say, an upset if they had just a little better quarterback play because they was gouging them on the run. Uh, the running back, Irvin, had 74 yards at the half. Right. Um, Deion them got to show up some stuff. And I, I know Coach Prime can make adjustments, but sometimes if you don't have the players you need on the line or the players you need on the roster, it's hard to adjust around that. But I you know what's that, funny about that? Uh, I'm not going to tell you exactly what he told me, but I was asking him about something similar to what you just said. And he said, you know how he talked, dog, if we get – Blank number players is a wrap. And he gave me, we need two of these, two of these, three of those, and one of those. Why is he going to do that? Is he trading for somebody? No, he's talking, about as you, he's talking about as you build the program. Okay, I'm talking about this year. I'm talking about Well, this plan. year, you just got to do what you can do. That's what I'm saying. When you, are you, but, how uh, you going to adjust to Colorado State? How you going to adjust? Because yeah. all of them people get taped. Yeah, you know, and they're going to try to exploit what you do. Roger, and um, you know that's that's what coaching is. That's why you can only you can't fake it being a good coach, because at soon at the end of the day, people will see what you do and try to exploit it. And if you can't adjust, adapt, and overcome, you, as you, a wise man once told me, no, it's improvise, adapt, and overcome. As a wise man once told me, improvise, yeah. adapt, and overcome. Roger that. Uh, uh, well, then you, you you're gonna have a hard time winning. You can fake being a good coach. Dabo Sweeney been doing it. Uh, well, let me say this, and then uh, then we're going to get up out of here. Roger that. I think he's been a good coach, but the mark of being a great coach is the ability to, what you just say, improvise, adapt, and overcome. So Nick Saban getting killed by these mobile quarterbacks, and he bitched them on and whined for a little bit. Then what did he decide to do? I'm going to go one, go get me one. And then I'm going to build my defense around guys who can stop that. Because he decided, instead of just moaning and groaning about it, I better deal with the times and change as I moan and groan about it. And that's what the best coaches do. Uh, What do the best coaches do? Oh, the portal transfer is here. Well, okay. I guess I'll take advantage of it. You know? Uh, It's here. The transfer portal makes things in all college sports. Almost even with talent. Might give you a chance to deal in free agency, so to speak. Roger and that. shore up your needs with proven players who can you think can come and help you. Well, Dabo don't want to adjust to that. I don't, I don't like it, so I'm not going to use it. Okay, don't use it then. That's what I'm saying. He's been getting <laughs> the best players, the Trevor Lawrences and the right. Deshaun Watsons so, and stuff like that. Well, okay. So he's been a good coach, but part of being a good coach is your continued evolution. Ain't no different than being a good journalist is – you know, 20 years ago, all you had to do was write your story. Now, if you can't, if you haven't evolved as a journalist to the point where you can shoot a little video and do some, some blog posts and host something on Twitter, then you haven't evolved and chances are you're not going to be in the business for too much longer. Then most of those people who didn't evolve have already been eliminated. So whatever business you're in, it's always about evolution and getting better. Let me end on this note right here. Coaching is about having a system and getting the best players. 
that's going to be that way 100 years ago. It's going to be that way 100 years in the future. If you can have all the pizzazz you want, but if you don't get them players, it's not going to do that. So that's what Dabo Sweeney been doing, getting players. He's been getting the best players, and he run the same old system. Without the players he got, without the transfer portal, he's not getting the best players, but he still run the same stuff. That's what I'm saying. Okay. I can get down on that. And on that note, that's uh, another episode of Jock Talk in the Box. We appreciate you guys hanging and listening. And uh, don't forget, when you get there, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe. And don't give us anything less than five stars or I'll send this former, uh, nah, I ain't going to say this. I'm just going to send my ninjas after you if, uh, if you give us less than five stars because you're just being a mean and a seven-letter cuss word. So we appreciate you listening. Uh, until next time, for Big Joe and the Big Rig, I'm Sean Jacques Taylor. We'll holler at you.